Welcome to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. Claudio and Steve will share their business and life experience to help you grow your business and improve your life. Here's Claudio and Steve. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. I am Claudio Relsano. Steve, you're back from Italy. Thanks, Claudio. And yes, I am. And uh, I had a great time. And uh, again, I am just happy to be back on American soil because let me tell you something, three weeks away and uh, now I go into restaurants and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in the U.S. and they're going to speak English and it's okay. (laughs) All right. Well, we have a very special guest on today, somebody who I've been listening to now for about a month on his podcast called Money Ripples with Chris Miles. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, it's such an honor to be here. Really appreciate having me on. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. I want to tell you how I found you. Uh, I was listening to a guy, I won't mention his name, but he does kind of what you do. And he was talking to the audience about investing and passive income and how you can make X amount. And I'll tell you why he turned me off. He said, and I also have a landscape business, Chris, with everything else that I do. He said yeah. that, um, you know, he was to, to outsource your things right so he said he was cutting his lawn it takes him five hours now i don't i i forgot if he said five hours a month or five hours a week he said so i outsourced it for only a hundred dollars i'm saying a hundred dollars there's no way in hell i would do his grass for five you know my, my company would do five hours for a hundred dollars but then i'm saying how am i going to get rich listening to him but he's telling somebody who's in that business only hundred bucks. How can I invest a hundred? You know what I mean? What am I going to do with a hundred bucks? So I got turned yeah. off by him. And then I start listening to you and uh, you give some fantastic advice. So first of all, thank you for all of your work. Um, now, one of the things that you talk about is that you're not the same as other financial advisors and you have been able to retire twice uh, by the time you were 39. Tell us number one, why are you not like other financial advisors? Uh, because one, I'm not a financial advisor anymore. Okay. I quit that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I used to be 20, 20 years ago. Uh, but here's the difference is that financial advisors are ultimately salesmen in suits, right? I mean, you, as well-intentioned and good-hearted as most of them are, the problem is that you're literally given a license to sell. Not a license to give real good financial advice, but to sell products, specifically selling mutual funds and or insurances. And that's it. That's all you're allowed to do. There's nothing outside of that world for you if you're in that perspective. And I found that out firsthand. You know, I, I got in the business not because I was a financial genius, but just because I wanted to start a business that I thought would be interesting. And that was one of them. And after several years, I remember sitting down with my dad and, you know, he was the ultimate penny pinching saver. He was the guy that did, you know, the, the stuff that Dave Ramsey talks about. In fact, Dave Ramsey might have learned from my own dad, you know, <laughs> because my dad was miserly. He was saving everything, and that's what he taught me to do. So I'm looking at his finances for the first time in in really my entire life. He never opened up his finances when I was a kid, but as a financial advisor, he said, Chris, I want you to advise me. Help me out. He said, I'm 61 years old. I want to retire today. What can I do? And I look at all his finances. Like he stuffed the money in his 401Ks, just like the, everybody tells you to do. He paid off his house and all of his debt with early actually he even paid off early so he's totally debt free packing money in his 401k and i have to tell him dad you better hope you die in five years because that's how long your money lasts before you run out of money Mm. 
And he did everything right. He's like, well, what do I do? I don't know, because you did everything that I would teach you as a financial advisor. And that led me on a journey to where eventually I realized that the answer is not with financial advisors because it's been proven. It hasn't worked. And I, and I knew that because I, after four years, not only my own clients, but other people's clients, I sort of realized none of them were really financially free. And even more importantly, even financial advisors, if you strip away all the commissions and money they earn in their business, they're not financially free either. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> the irony, right? I mean, so why are we following blind guides? And and when I what I end up doing is I I took a different path. I end up quitting being a financial advisor because I can't I can't teach something I don't believe in, right? I can't right. sell something like that. So I was a mortgage broker, but I was also learned how to do like real estate investing and things like that. You know, more passive investments where I can even lend my money out to investors and get paid returns. And the next thing I know, later that year, I myself was able to retire. I was financially independent when I couldn't find a single financial advisor to do the same. All because I did the opposite of what financial advisors teach. That's the big difference. That's why I refer to myself as the anti-financial advisor because I did essentially the opposite. I actually got my money to work harder for me instead of throwing my money away, accumulating it, gambling in the stock market, hoping that someday I might actually break the odds and actually become financially free, which was not, not going to be the case. Tell our audience how you got from point A to point B and how maybe they can not exactly follow your path or map, but a, a guide. Yeah, you know, really, it, it's the first thing is I give three pieces of advice that work for me and, and would work for really anybody, and no matter what the situation you're in. It's get lean, get liquid, and get out. So get lean means really start to track your money. It doesn't mean you have to be cheap living on rice and beans like some people teach, right? <laughs> You don't have to cut out all fun and enjoyment out of your life, but really start tracking your money. I recommend tools like Mint. Mint is a great tool you can use to start tracking your income and expenses to see what's actually happening. You don't have to create a budget. That's Many people jump right to the budget step in their, in their life. And the problem is, one, I hate budgets anyways, and I think most people have a negative connotation with budgets. But two, if you don't know what you're actually spending, how can you create a budget on just guessing? Right. right, it's like Blinken from Robin Hood, Men in Tights. He's up in the watchtower saying, "I'm guessing, I'm guessing, no one's coming." Yeah, that's what it's like. So you got to start tracking your money. Then you can create what I call a spending plan, which is now you can be more strategic about how much money you're spending. But find ways to to get rid of the expenses that don't serve you. Either they're destructive in your life, whether they don't help you. You know, give you an example. I had a guy that uh, he was, you know, he was spending about six hundred dollars a month on alcohol, and he's like, "Well, I don't know if it's destructive." And his wife said, "Actually." It is. It's destructive to our family. So I said, hey, you don't have to go dry here. You can actually just, why don't we cut it back from 600 a month to maybe 200 a month? Let's do that. You know, uh, people eating out. I, I had one lady that was in California, couldn't figure out why she couldn't live on a quarter million a year. Well, she was spending 5,600 a month eating out. Wow. That kind of helped. Wow. <laughs> so I had her cut back to only, quote unquote, a thousand bucks a month and, you know, free up that 4,600 that then she can use elsewhere, right? Um, taxes, you know, the ways to save on taxes, especially if you're an entrepreneur and things like that. So there's there's so many ways you can get more efficient with your money, right? But the first step is just start tracking it. So that's get lean. Get liquid. Get liquid means how do we get our money out of prison? This is the number one problem that you get from financial advice today is that they're telling you, everybody to just lock their money up in prison. When you have a home, you pay it off. You lock it up with the bank. The bank gets to keep your money. You don't, right? When you're putting money away in 401ks and IRAs, it's, doesn't it seem ironic that you have to 
ask for permission to touch your own money. You know, if you, if you try to touch your own money, if you're not 59 and a half years old, they slap you with a 10% penalty, and then they tax you, right? That, that just seems wrong. You know, that just does not sit well with me, you know? That, those kind of things, that's what all financial advice is telling you to do. Lock up your money so that it sits there and accumulates, and hopefully you have some, enough to live on a few little nuts in retirement, right? You're like a little you know, dying squirrel is what you're, what's happening. What if you could just get that money out of prison? What if you could get that money out of those places? What if you can get it out of the equity of your home and instead use that money to invest and get it out, which is that third step, to make money for you? And that's exactly what I did. It's like when I realized I can get money away from those things and then start to invest it, you know, heck, I mean, there's even somebody on my podcast that they borrow money from, from investors to then go and invest in their own real estate deals. They pay 1% a month. You know, if you have $100,000, they're paying you $1,000 a month on your money, right? Just take away two zeros. You figure out how much you're getting paid. That's, that was a shocker to me when I was a financial advisor looking to then quit. Because I'd always thought if I accumulate, say, a million dollars, then I can live on 30000 a year because you're not supposed to pull out more than 3%. Well, if I do that, you know, that's not much, right? You're a broke millionaire. You're living below the poverty line as a millionaire. But if I can take the same million dollars, and even if that made me 100000 a year, 10% a year, right? And that's paying me income, not having me pull money out of a million dollars. I don't kill the golden goose that's laying the golden eggs, but I'm making legitimately 10% or more. I'm making over 100000 a year with that same money. And that's what happened with one of our clients where he had a, legitimately a million dollars in his retirement account when he retired. Financial advisor says, you can live on 30000 a year. He says, I'm in California. Even homeless people live on more than 30000 a year. <laughs> that's not going to work. And so we instead got him doing different investments, things like, you know, he bought a few duplexes that weren't managed by him. He had somebody else managing the property, so he's more hands-off. You know, he put his money in some oil and gas deals. He got some money in some apartments. The next thing you know, you know, even though, again, he's hands-off, he's not doing the investing, he's making about 130000 a year versus living on 30000 a year, hoping not to run out of money. But you know what, Chris? There, there, there's an old adage, you got to have money to make money. So a lot of the folks are going to be starting out. Let's just say, but let's talk about somebody's in their twenties. To your point, they go to mm -hmm. school. They learn from a professor who's probably never actually done anything. To, to to your point, here's the expert teaching you how you know economics and business. And you're like, okay, well, if you're an expert, then you must be a multimillionaire, and um, you just do this as a side gig. But we all know that. Like, I'm not picking on professors. I am one. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, let's be realistic. Most of the people that are, to your point, are teaching. They're not coming in from a practical, like, hey, I've made a million dollars. Let me show you how to do this. They're doing it from, because right. the book says to do it this way. And then you perpetuate that how to do it. But if I'm 20-something years old, I graduated school, and I've got $60,000, $70,000 in debt, I can't, I've got nothing to invest. But I do think, to your point, what do I, I still have some kind of income, and I'm still going to have bills, whether I have a million dollars in my bank account or whether I owe $100,000. I should have income, and I will always have bills. It's, it's inevitable. And I do believe that that tracking is. But what do you tell younger people? How do they get started? What's some, what, is it the same methodology, just go at a lower level? Or is there, you know, no, nah, there's a little different strategy if you're not coming into it much in your hands. It's a little different, but somewhat, it's still the same principles, right? So, uh, for example, what I add to that is, one, because uh, I, I get some people say, I got $10,000, let's do this. And I'll say, calm down, Sparky, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> this this isn't the time to just go nuts. Because let's just say you make 10% on $10,000, that's only 1000 bucks. Your 10000 becomes eleven. dollars That's not going to move the needle much. 
So I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying, you know what, focus on building up that savings and focus on cash flow. Uh, and that's another thing we talk about as well, like on our website, moneyripple.com and things like that, is how to find and free up cash, right? How do we get to where you're making more money than you're spending? And again, that's not just the typical live on rice and beans. This also means how do we increase our means? How do we actually go about increasing our income? Because the number one problem I see, especially with, and this is not just people that are younger starting out in life. This is even true with people that could be in their 40s, 50s, and 60s that are paycheck to paycheck. See, understand, everybody keeps going to the default because most financial advisors will say this is just, well, you should just be cheaper, right? Just live on less, right? Live within your means. And although that's half the equation, that's not the other half. The income is the other half. Even right. Warren Buffett said, if you want to fight inflation, increase your income. And the best way to do that, and this is something that I learned in my really in my late 20s. I, I didn't even learn this. Money seemed mysterious to me until I learned this one principle, which is dollars follow value. Dollars follow the value you create for other people. Now, understand, like when I was a financial advisor, I thought it was always a win-lose game, a zero-sum game where someone had to lose for you to win. Therefore, if I'm a benevolent person, I'll take one for the team. I'll make less money so that other people can make more money. That was my belief, right? That was a scarcity belief that really isn't true. But when I realized, when I learned from guys that were multimillionaires before I became one, when they said, no, no, it's not that. Like money simply just comes down to how can you go about serving people, solving problems, or adding value in a way that people want to exchange money for that? Like how do you really go about serving people and solving problems? How do you create that win-win? So one of the key pieces of advice that I took during that period of time, in fact, even before I really understood all the different strategies I could do with real estate – the first one I learned was, how do you create value? How do I create a win-win for people? And when I started to obsess over that question, income opportunities came up, right? So like, for example, I remember that uh, one of my friends asked me, one of these guys that was, became my, million, my millionaire mentors, he asked me, he said, Chris, you're a mortgage broker. Do you like doing mortgages? Would you do that if money were no issue in your life? I said, well, I like teaching it. I don't like the paperwork. I despise paperwork. Chris, why don't you find somebody in that in your brokerage that does like doing paperwork and you partner on those deals? And in a scarcity world, I never thought about sharing commissions, you know, sharing, you know, income like that. But I said, well, is there anybody that actually likes doing paperwork? Trust me, Chris, people, there are nerds out there that love paperwork. You'll find them. And so I did. I went to the, the owner of the company, said, who fits this description? They said, talk to Clark. I went to Clark. I said, listen, if I basically send people to you that are already ready to do a mortgage. They just need you to do all the work. Would you pay me 50% of that? And he said, yeah, of course, because I don't have to find him. <laughs> and so normal family, friends, I really wasn't even doing it as a business. I was just literally people would have questions and say, well, hey, here's some things I learned about how you can invest with the equity of your home, make more money than the payment, actually pay off your house faster. And they said, yeah, that's awesome. Where do I go? Talk to Clark. And I did that and because it was mortgage licensed, I was able to split it 50-50. And when I realized how easy it was, I would make a thousand or two thousand bucks, you know, in, with these, these checks coming in the mail every once in a while. I thought, well, is there somebody else I can do that with? Who else are people asking for, or people that I know that are just looking for those kind of things? So I remember I went to a wholesale jeweler in Salt Lake City, and I said, hey, you, I buy your my ring from you for a third of the cost as a normal guy. Do you do a referral program? They said, yeah, we'll pay you five percent for any referral you send in. I'm like, great. Well, if somebody happens to be getting married or something, I'll let you know. And occasionally that would come up in conversation. I would say, 
go to this jeweler. Don't you dare get ripped off of those other guys. These guys will save you a ton of money, and they're great. They'll customize it for you. And they would go in, and I would get a check in the mail for that. And I started to like, get money coming in that way, and that built up my income. I started having multiple streams of active income coming in. That was kind of semi-residual type income coming in that allowed me to have more money to invest. And this can work even on your nine-to-five job. Even if you're not a business owner, I've had clients where, like one guy, Brian, was making 15 bucks an hour. I said, go to your employer, and instead of becoming a, you know, a little, you know, what's the word, um, kind of an entitled brat, <laughs> right? <laughs> instead of being an entitled brat, go to them and ask your manager, say, what can I do to provide value for the company that would enti- that would actually would actually earn me a raise? You know, what could I do for you guys? And so he did, and the next thing you know, they gave him a raise of 18 bucks an hour. They said, do these three things, and he did it. A few months later, he got the raise. Then a little while later, they said, how much are you making again? He said, 18 bucks an hour. They said, you know what? Because he kept creating value for them. He said, here's another raise, and he gave him more. And so the cool thing is, like, by about a year and a half later, he got a promotion and everything else. He went from 15 bucks an hour to $28 an hour, all because he just kept asking them, how can I serve you guys? How can I create value? How can I earn a raise with you? Even though they didn't want to give him raises, he became so invaluable to them, they couldn't afford to lose him. And I even had another guy. He worked for a large bank. A hundred people were competing for just two spots, two positions in that company. He got it because I told him, I said, listen, you go to them and ask them what you have to do to earn that position. And he did it. And he, you know, he, and he actually didn't – he wasn't the highest performing guy. In fact, when they called him in to let him know he got the promotion, they said, listen, you weren't the highest performing guy. We gave that to the number one guy. But we gave you the second slot, not because you were the highest performing, but because you were the only one out of over 100 candidates that asked us how you could get this. And that impressed us so much that we decided to give you the promotion. Gave an extra $4,000 a month with that. It's, it's real. Like that's, that's how you make more money, right? Like you get more income coming in, and then you start to save that without having to increase all of your expenses. And now you got way more money to invest and faster. You'll, you'll get out of the rat race much faster than those that are just trying to scrape together 20 bucks a month. Well, and the irony is you're talking about a term that people don't use anymore, and it's called work ethic. Um, you, don't have to, <laughs> yeah. you, you don't have to break your back, to your, to your point. On one hand, yeah. you know, if you go to an employer, if I have employees working, and, I, and I've been a manager, I've been in a management position, and I've had people working for me, and you know, there are going to be people that are going to do the bare minimum, and there are going to be people that are going to go above and beyond. When it comes time That's to right. give out the raises and the pay, you know who you're going to give it to. To your point, though, the problem is everyone says, well, I, well, I, I did my job. Don't I get a raise? It's like, I'm already paying you your salary to do your job. Mm-hmm. If you want more money, you must do more things. And people, I, I don't know what it is. They look at you like like you're from another planet. It's like, no, you're actually allowed to still work hard these days. It's almost like people look at it as like you're not supposed to work hard. You shouldn't have to work hard anymore. This is where, you know, we're a technology-driven, you know, society. You don't need to work hard. It's like, eh, I disagree because these companies want to make money. How do they make money? Well, to your point, they, they create a service that people want and they're willing to pay for it. And if the service is really good, they'll pay more money for it. Well, that's, that, that's what you're describing is exactly at an individual level. I have to provide a service, and if I do it better, I get more for it. So, That's right. Now, now, Chris, you're absolutely right. Now, Chris, you said lean, liquid, and what was the third? Get out. Okay, explain so get that your one. money out working for you. Yeah, okay. I mean, get your money out working for you, right? Like now you've got a liquid, you've got it away from the clutches of your crappy financial advisor or your 401k fund manager at work or whatever it might be, 
great. Now let's get that money working for you, right? Let's get it out investing. And like I said, like if you got 10,000 bucks, don't even worry about it. I mean, once you get over 100,000, options start opening up, right? That's where you start to see some really cool things happen because, you know, for example, some, some investments that are, again, these are investments that are outside what the financial advisor can or even know how to offer. These are the things that are out there, the private deals. We've been doing them for decades, right? If not centuries. I mean, this, this has been happening without financial advisors anyways, right? Like, for example, you know, I mentioned you can, you can lend money to other real estate investors. Now, that being said, I know there's some real estate investors out there that said, hey, I'm looking for money. I've been investing since 2018. I've made good money in real estate. And my response is, duh. Everybody made good money in real estate since 2018. You could be an idiot and still made money in real estate since 2018. Now, show me the guy that was, uh, you know, in the last recession, 2007, 2008, got his butt kicked a few times and maybe had to learn how to pivot and, and get some wisdom and maybe an extra few gray hairs or lost some hairs because of it. That's the person I'll put my money with, right? I don't care if they'll even pay me a little bit less. I want a return of my money than just a return on my money. And so I, I actually look for those people. In fact, I have a whole network of those people that I've developed over the years that, you know, again, nothing's guaranteed in life, but I'd much rather trust these guys where I know that, you know, that they actually can get that money out, get it working for them, and then they'll pay me returns as well. What are your thoughts on people who hold cash? Or th- what are your thoughts on idea. that idea? I think it's a great idea. Um, and now, if you only held cash and that's all you did for the rest of your life, not so great, right? But I'll tell you, in 2022, this is one key thing I've learned about investing, and this is even true in business and sometimes in life, right? Is that whatever the masses are doing, you should probably do the opposite. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, Warren Buffett, I think he said, be greedy when others are... Uh, fearful. Fearful and be fearful when yep. everybody else is greedy, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and even when we see pop culture, we start to wonder, like, are people just crazy or, or is just media weird? And, of course, the media usually gives you bad advice anyways. I'm not saying you guys. I mean, it's general media, right? <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll, gladly, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly give bad advice just to, you know, to, uh, you know, to validate your statement. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, you know, like, like for example, um, like in 2022, everybody was saying, don't you dare sit on cash because you're losing to inflation, right? You got to get it out, invest it, and people are throwing it to Bitcoin. They're throwing it to the stock market, wherever tanking, they were right? gambling it. Right. When I saw that happening, I said, well, if everybody's saying to get your money out, maybe I should start storing more cash. So I started doing the opposite. And funny thing is Buffett, you mentioned Warren Buffett, he did the same too. He actually has built his cash, uh, cash accounts up to over $130 billion. $130 billion. He could invest it anywhere, but he's building more cash for the very reason because if everybody gets their money out, and of course they put in dumb places like Bitcoin or whatever, like where it can tank on them overnight almost, well, then as a result, they're not going to have cash. People aren't going to be liquid. Banks are even becoming less liquid because people are pulling their money out, and so now banks aren't lending as much. That's when you become powerful, when you have the cash and nobody else does. I mean, because how many of us would have loved to have gone back in time to – 2008, 9, 10, and had all the cash we could have possibly wanted to invest. Mm. Uh, I mean, you would have been, I mean, if you could have just invest in real estate in 2010, 2011, I mean, any, any of my friends that did do that, that had tons of cash, have made deca millions, right? Like tens of millions of dollars as a result of that. That's the key, is that you, I think sitting on cash right now is not a bad thing. Now, I don't think you should always sit on cash. That doesn't mean you shouldn't invest anything right now. 
but I'm, I'm actually more liquid today than I was even a few years ago because of seeing opportunity and really just trying to do the opposite of whatever anybody else tells me. You know, we talked about Warren Buffett a few times and somebody who I follow a lot and watch is Alex Rodriguez. And he said, Alex, uh, Warren Buffett told him two rules about investing. Number one, never lose money. Number two, remember rule number one. <laughs> so, that's right. Steve? No, that's that's funny. Um, but you know what? I, I want to tie into that because in every industry, so, you you know, you're, you're obviously hitting real estate pretty hard and, and other things, but... Mm-hmm. You know, every industry has winners. Every industry has losers. So I'm sure there are right. people that lose in real estate investments. There are people that make gazillions of dollars in stock market investments and, and money for, in money markets. Is this is it a question of? And I know this is kind of like a simplistic question, but hypothetically, I got a hundred. Let's say I got a hundred thousand dollars. So you know what? I'm going to go invest in something. There's no guarantee that I'm going to make money. I'm going to have to find the right folks. You know, I, I'm I'm making a leap of faith that not everything you did was always success, successful. Because to your point, I'm sure you might have had a, a gray hair or two from a few, you know, lessons learned. So my point, though, is, you know, how how does the, the average person doesn't know these things, right? They, they just yeah. don't. That's why they rely on other people to do it for them. They, it's, not, it's not their full-time job. And I think that's the thing that frustrates people is they listen to this and they go, well, this sounds great. And I'm going to, and I tell you, I've, I've seen the commercials where people say, you know what, you know, everything from reverse mortgages to doing this, to doing that, all these, you make a million bucks, read my book. I made 20 millions. I get these mm-hmm. checks coming in from it. There are people that do that. There are people that are that successful, but I'm just not convinced it's the majority. Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. No, you're not. I mean, it's, for example, I mean, I, I've kind of I've kind of bounced around and done a lot of different things, right? And when I say bounce around, I mean like I've tried a lot of different types of investing and things like that. Obviously, I've been a business owner for over 20 years. I think overall, if someone's a business owner, that should be their number one investment, right? That that should be the place that you put focus, uh, just as long as you make sure you're profitable. You have to pull out profits because if you don't, then you're just caught in another rat race. But I mean, I, I was even a stock coach for a period of time, right? So, I mean, I, I saw the financial advisor route, which is mutual funds. Mutual funds, I can say proven, don't work. They really don't get you to where you want to go. Even if you get a 401k with a match, with inflation, even conservative rates of inflation, whatever you put in it per year is what you can pull out per year. So if you're max funding your 401k at $20,000 a year, guess what? In your 30 or 40 years down the road or even 10 or 20, doesn't even, not even that far you'll pull out that much per year based on traditional planning. It just doesn't work. You can't do that. 20,000 years is just not enough, right? That being said, even on a stock trading route, when I did that, I taught over 200 people how to trade stocks and options. And when I got to know the stock traders, even they were trapped. They, they, they couldn't make good money, but they couldn't make passive income from it. So, I mean, I even had you know guys that were out there selling their products coming to me and saying, hey, um, can you teach me how to make passive income? Because I'm a stock trader. It's not very passive, right? So, I mean, I've tried that. In real estate, you can lose money too, but usually it's because people listen to their their friends, their neighbors, uh, usually novices, amateurs, or people that don't haven't done it before themselves. And and they're trying to do it themselves. There, there's a way to get around that. There's a way to do it where you leverage a network. When you have a community around you, people that actually know what's going on, you tend to fall into less of those traps. 
And I'll just say, I mean, real estate, if you're going to screw up, people accidentally become millionaires in real estate. It's much easier to become accidental millionaire there than in the stock market. So if you're going to do anything, yes, that would be it. But I would warn, don't just try to do it yourself. Don't just try to go into it thinking you're going to buy your property in your backyard because uh, I won't dare buy anything in the western half of the United States, and I live in the western half of the United States. You know, I buy out east, like the Midwest or southeast, where I make more money, right? So that's the thing. You want to make sure you have people that can help, that have been there, done that, and still doing it today to help give you some guidance. Chris, what about those companies, um, and I know you have know of a couple, that uh, they accept non-credited investors for real estate. What do you think about those? Yeah. They could be good. Um, they could be bad. Right. Uh, I mean, it kind of comes back to when you're when you're investing with other people, the who is much more important than the what they're investing in. Right. Who are you investing with? That's why I like to see people that have a long track record, because there are some that do take credit. On, you know, they call it non-accredited money. Right. So if you're if you don't have at least either you're not earning at least 200,000 as a single person or 300,000 a year as a married person or you don't have at least a million dollars of net worth, not counting your home equity then you're called an accredited investor, right? And there's a lot more opportunities that open up there. But if you're non-accredited, there's not as many. And so you do have to be careful because many people can get duped. Um, I even remember, you know, like there's online companies, I want to mention names, but I mean, there's one that's not even around much anymore that you would lend money to, you know, people that were, you know, buying cars or houses and things like that. And, and whenever I hear people say, oh, I got money here. Okay, so you want to lose money then. <laughs> right because there are places you could put it so there's there's good places and there's bad places and it does really depend upon you know again that's why you know when i invest like i like to try those things out and see if it actually works you know and, and even see the track record not just for myself but other people as well before i just throw my money in it another quote uh touching with the, with what you just said alex rodriguez says i'm not i don't bet on the horse i bet on the jockey so i i, yes. I like what you said steve no that's a good point um <clears throat> i want to talk about a little about the podcast uh so money ripples mm -hmm. and uh you know i started listening to it obviously hey well, we're gonna have a guest on the show you want to listen but uh you know very good uh it's a very good podcast actually i've really actually enjoyed it and um the recent one you know you interviewed a um nfl player and this is kind mm -hmm. of Claudio and I have talked about this, where, you know, you get these people that are, you know, they're gazillionaires, and then they're broke. And yeah. I think about your principles and your first principles, you know, tracking your funds. You know, I was teaching my daughter recently. She said, you know, I, I'm trying to tell her things like, you know, something you, funny you said about the going out to eat dinner. Because I said, one of, the, one of the bills that people don't pay attention to is their food bill. They don't pay attention to mm -hmm. their food bill. We waste a lot of money. Not just because we overeat. I do think it's, it's a societal issue. It's a different point, but I do think we overeat. But I don't think people realize how much they spend. I got a coffee here. I got a thing here. I got a little bit there. I went and grabbed a snack. You add that up. That adds up. I mean, I had an old boss used to tell me uh, shavings make a pile. And so when I'm thinking about your, your podcast and, you know, you talk about what you can live on. And to your point, and I've talked, I mean, look, I'm one of the fools. I have money in my 401k. I have, uh, you know, a bunch of investments sitting out there, and you're not wrong. Um, I'll probably do a little better because I'm also, you know, there's some reasons I'll do a little better. I'm not going to be, but I'm not going to be millions and millions of dollars doing what I'm doing right now unless something significantly changes. It's just, it's just a matter of fact. So yeah. the point, though, is that a lot of these folks, you know, you watch like an athlete, and you say, oh, they signed a $20 million contract. Well, well two things. Number one, 
when these athletes sign these big contracts, they sign it because they know that they have a limited shelf life. They're only going to be in the sport for so many years, and they've got to basically get 50 years wages as much as they can in a couple of years. And I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that. I think a lot of them are overpaid. Um, but I think when you when you step back and you say, one, what is the what is the you know from a business perspective, that guy brings in this they much value, money, right? They add value, right. which is to your to your principle. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they add value, they get more money um, at the end of the day, and they're trying to get as much as they can because they know in a few years they're gone. But that doesn't guarantee, you know, I've, so I've got, you know, $20 million in my bank and I'm 20-something years old. That doesn't guarantee that I have $20 million in my bank when I'm 40 years old or 60 years old because then it goes back to your very first principle is being lean and tracking what you spend. Do you see that pattern in wealthy people a lot of just thinking, I'm always going to have it, so I'm not going to worry about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, that's a deceptive thing, especially in this age of social media. Many, many times you'll see people and they're, you know, they might make millions, right? And they'll show, you know, they'll show their trips and their cars and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm not saying that this is everybody, right? I, I know there's some of my friends that have the nice cars and they are free, but the problem is, is that they just create a bigger rat race. And whether they admit it or not, in the back of their mind, and I know because when I'm in some of these groups, even the real estate groups, these guys that will do you know, flipping or wholesaling, you know, things like that where they can make millions in that, in that profession, it's still a business. It's not passive. And they have to keep still hunting for what they eat. And in the course, as they keep increasing their lifestyle, they keep spending right. more and more money, they don't ever take that money and create – additional passive streams of income off the side. And I, and I'll, and I'll, I'll be blunt with some of them. I'll say, like, listen, like if your business shut down today, where would you be at financially? They're like, like everybody else. <laughs> like, exactly. You know, that's, that's when, you know, that's why when I say like in the earlier in this episode, right. When I mentioned that if you're building a business, don't just constantly keep quote unquote reinvesting your profits. Right, because what you're really doing is just spending money. I love I love what Mike Michalowicz says about that. Right, you know he has a book Profit First, must read if you're in business. But he talks about that. It's like if you're just constantly reinvesting your business, you're really not investing at some point. Eventually, you're just going to keep spending money, and you'll be constantly trapped in that business forever. So you need to make sure you have those additional streams of income outside of your business to get to the point where you're work optional, where you work because you want to, not because you have to. And you get to that place, and that requires you to be a little bit lean. It requires you some discipline. You cannot just look at somebody's life and say, well, you make millions. You must be successful financially. No, they could be complete idiots when it comes to money. They just know how to make money. And some people are really good at sales. Some people are really good at building and making money in business or making money in the profession, but they're not good at actually making their money make money. That's a very different skill set. So it's funny you say that because what I've tried to do in the past, and I try to—I I don't know if this is right, but this is just something I believe. Is one is I don't—I try not to be overly materialistic. Again, this is it's a different conversation because I think at the yeah. end of the day, people get insane. They got to have the latest and greatest. I've got to have the biggest this. I've got to have it. And I think that greed, to your point, drives the need to make more money. You don't need to make more money. You want to make more money so that you can have a bigger house, right. a bigger car, but you don't need to. And I'm not saying to your point, that doesn't mean you got to live on beans and live in a little tent in the backyard. You can, you can live comfortably, but you don't have to live 
extravagantly because to your point, if you can't maintain that income, you're gonna have a, there's gonna be a reckoning coming. Um, one of the things I teach my kids, right, right or wrong, and I try and tell you is, look, when you get a raise, okay, so you're living, let's just say hypothetically, you're living on $2,000 a month. You're, you're a young kid, you're 20-something years old, you got $2,000 a month, and you're, you're making it. Now you get a raise, now you get $2,200. Put the $200 away. Exactly. You've already learned how to live yeah. on $2,000 a month. Put the 200 right. away, to your point, and I always tell them throw it into a savings account. Why a savings account? So that yeah. I, if I need money, I don't need to rack up credit, which puts me back into the to the to the shackles again because i think mm-hmm. credit is is almost evil because these for example the student loans these schools are absolutely raping these kids you know um you know they're just killing them and then here comes the credit card companies because now you're broke but you want to go on vacation you want to go on spring break you want to go do this and here comes the credit card. and then they can't figure out why they're broke and to your point then they graduate yeah. even if they get a good job maybe i'm making out of college i'm making a hundred thousand dollars you're broke so right. I mean, what? So what am I missing? It's true. It, it's all about stewardship. Right. What can a steward of you over your money, right? And you know, and you're right. It's a much deeper conversation. It goes on an emotional level because you know I'm speaking from experience, not just because of a friend, but I've also been the person that was in my 20s spending too much. Because, for example, when I was, you know, I, I became financially independent when I was 28. You know, I was able to retire if I wanted to, so I kept doing some work and some part-time stuff on the side, making great money, bought a new house, bought the new Mercedes, right? I did all that. Now, I didn't do that because I needed it, like you're saying, and really, did I really want it? All I was wanting was to fill a gap, and really what it was that I, I lacked confidence and didn't value who I was as a person. So it's because I didn't see value in me because my, you know, my ego was bad, my confidence was bad, I would go and buy stuff and say, well, look at me putting the stuff out front, putting the nice cars, nice houses, and things like that. Then the recession hit, and I got my butt kicked, right? And uh, and I got butt kicked partly, I mean, for a lot of reasons. It's not just because I spent too much. In fact, even if I was debt-free, I would have still been in a bad position. It, it wasn't just about the debt. It was just the fact that I started a brand-new business, racked up expenses there, had expenses personally, and with a growing family, and I wasn't making enough income to support all that even within that business. And so I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire, meaning I was over a million dollars in debt eventually once I would kept being negative cash flow for several months. And uh, and it got to the point where I eventually turned in that Mercedes. I eventually had a, it got foreclosed on that house, lost just about everything except for our family vehicle. I was able to hide in the garage a few times when we went late on our payments, you know, so that they couldn't repossess it. But, uh, but other than that, I mean, I barely came through without filing for bankruptcy. You know, it was a long, hard battle to battle back from that. But I'll tell you, it took me losing everything to find everything. Once I lost everything, I found the value in me because there was nothing left. I had to just look at me. People, And once that happened, I became more free than ever in my life to the point where today it's like, yeah, I could buy all those hot cars and do all that stuff, but I drive a Nissan Maxima. I think it's pretty hot. But, uh, you know, it's not an expensive car like because I just don't give a crap anymore. That's that's how you know somebody's wealthy is that they don't that money doesn't doesn't rule their life. It doesn't control them. Money is no longer the determining factor in their life, whether they do or do not do anything. That is freedom. That's you know, as I say, people are are they're too. I'm I'm saying it generally, but it's not everyone. But people are too shallow. And this goes back to the whole keeping up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. You know, you've heard the term (laughs) housebroken, all these things where people are buying things. To your point, maybe not even want it 
It's and it's not even filling a gap permit. It's a temporary gap. It's that it's that materialism. Yeah. And to your point, it, it is a deeper conversation. It's almost a spiritual conversation, in my personal opinion, sure because I don't necessarily care if I'm a gazillionaire. I just want to make sure I'm not living on a street corner with a tin cup because I don't need yeah. a huge house. I don't need. I can. To your point, I can afford a way nicer car than I drive right now. But I got a Toyota Rav4. I'm quite happy with it. Batfax one of the best cars mm-hmm. I've ever owned, and I got it. And the only reason I bought it is because I got such a good trade. And on the other car, I was like, sure. And to your point, and I paid it cash, not because I've ever made a lot of money, because I saved. I didn't do yeah. all the things that people are doing. You know, and then they're broke. And then when some bill comes, they're like, oh, I don't have any money. Um, you know, this isn't fair. I need the government to pay me. It's like, no, you're being told now, like you're being warned now at some point, you know, the tax man's coming, you know, the collectors are coming, it's coming. And and, and I just think people aren't mentally ready to, because they're so shallow. And it's like, I got to have the latest and greatest, the best this. And they, then they <laughs> overextend and I don't care how much money they make, they overextend it's going to come back and haunt you. I'm going to have to mute both of you because I have a Cadillac, but I paid the whole thing <laughs> off, Chris. I paid it off cash. <laughs> okay. All right. Now talk to the person uh, who is working hard and who hears about passive income and wants uh, to do that. What, what do you say to them? What kind of lane do you suggest? For passive income, I really suggest the lane is, is really just different types of real estate investments, but looking at the alternative investment path, I mean, that's something we do talk about a lot on our Money Ripples podcast because there's there's a variety. Even if there's a lot of real estate-backed type investments, there's such a wide variety of things you can do. It's so like, for example, I'm, I'm lending money to investors. I'm making anywhere from like 10 to 12 plus percent on my money doing that. Um, I also have properties, although I'm not buying as many rental properties right now because of the way the interest rates are. Mm-hmm. If I buy a property, it's going to be outright in cash and the numbers got to make sense. They got I still want double digit returns, right? I want at least 10% a year. But I'll tell you, I mean, I've got like a partnership where I'm doing raw land investing right now where I'm making about 7,500 a month in that, you know, and the original investment just a year and a half ago was 150,000, you know, so I mean, I'm making good income from that, you know, and, and other things, like oil investing, you know, like oil is something that they're talking about prices are low right now they're about to come up more you know well i'm much if i'm gonna have to pay more of the gas pump i might as well make more from passive investing too on that same front right mm-hmm. i might as well make more for my investments as well so there's just there's so many ways you can make money um the, the thing is the right timing the right connections the right people and the right strategy and, and doing it correctly that's what's so important right now you know, you know, I joke about the car, but anybody who hears me or knows me knows that I am incredibly, um, I, I think about money all the time. I'll be honest with you. Not because I, w- I, I just want to take care of my family. And I know a few athletes who were like that. Bruno Sammartino, the former wrestler, and Mario Andretti, he was asked a question one time, which are, and I even asked him, what's your biggest fear? And right away he said poverty. And, and that's the same with me. And I go at it hard with all the different funnels of income, uh, all the different work that I do. But um, before we talk about uh, ending the show with where people can uh, listen to you and check you out, talk about different funnels of income. Now, I've been told, Claudio, you can't catch two rabbits. But um, I have, you know, mm-hmm. several different things going on, and I'm always taking on more. And um, so far, I've been able to catch those rabbits. But w- what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's some there's some wisdom behind that because you can have a lot of streams of income. I would just not recommend doing them all at once. 
Um, I actually made that mistake in the last recession because so, obviously I'm scrambling. I'm trying to figure out how to get out of my get out of my hole, and so I went from really having like you know two different businesses. All of a sudden, I jumped up to five. Remember, I started a, a part-time dinner and dance type of company. Right. Um, I did that because I was a ballroom dancer, you know, back in the day. That's right. So I set up, I created a company like that. I even joined a network marketing company, and then I even did. I remember all the things I did, but I, I basically did a lot. I had five different streams of income. What was fascinating is that my income overall between all of the streams, my total income dropped. Mm. And when I when I realized, I said, "Well, my goodness, am, am I a sprinkler or a fire hose right now?" And, and I felt more like a sprinkler, right? I was spreading in too many different directions, and I was making income in each of those areas. Each one had made money, but overall, because I was splitting my energy, my time, and my focus. I was making less. So I cut off three of those, including the dinner and dance business, went just down to my consulting and, and even like, like insurance practice that we had. And when I went down to those two, all of a sudden my income overall went up. I made more money because I was more focused. And so again, and so this is what I learned. I learned it's okay. You could have five different streams of income, but build them one at a time, no more than two at a time for sure, but mm -hmm. definitely one at a time until it gets to the point where it's, it's automatic, right? When you get to the point where there's systems in place, it's moving nice and easy, then you move on to the next one. And then you build that one until it's going nice and easy. Then you can go to the next one and build that one. Build them like really one at a time. You do that, and then yeah, it wouldn't be long, you could have. I mean, right now I have about 16 different streams of income, most of them from investments, but I got some from business too. And mm -hmm. so, you know, but that didn't happen in, overnight. That was something I, I built on one at a time to the point where now eventually, if I lose one or two of those income streams, I'm not stressing. Right. Well, as Greg Norman says, what you miss on the roundabout, you pick up on the merry-go-round. So when one thing drops, something else uh, picks up. Okay, finally, uh, tell everybody where they can uh, tune, tune in to you. Yeah, you can find my podcast on really any media, whether it's iTunes or YouTube. It's the Money Ripples podcast. Or you can just go to moneyripples.com and look up the information there, and it connects to our podcast as well. Steve? Uh, Chris, yeah. I want to say I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And uh, I think I'd like to have you back at some point because uh, I, I do I do think one thing I would love to keep talking about is, again, this the a lot of people's problems are self-inflicted. And, you know, mm. there's a lot of people listening right now that are saying, I can't do that. And I think that is a mental hurdle that a lot of folks need to overcome. And in, in uh, the Italian Impact, when we had um, – a guest on we talked about that you know not waiting to do things you know get it done but to your point you know find a passion and go do it and that passion could be something that ultimately generates income for you so i'd like to have a deeper conversation on that and also um you know i do like the idea of being lean i think a lot of people gloss over that to your point going to a spreadsheet i've been keeping a spreadsheet for years I tell my kids, I said, I can tell you where every dime of my money goes. Why? Yeah. Because I work for it and I'm not willing to just give it away, except to my kids, of course. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I work for it. And I want to know where it's going because if I start seeing things that don't make sense to me, I want to find a way to get rid of it. I don't want to pay money 
and just hemorrhage money. And I think people are losing that. I'd, I'd love to have a further conversation at some point on you. So again, I want to thank you. You've definitely kind of enlightened me to a few things. And uh, I hope our listeners got something out of it. Some very good advice. And, uh, you know, you go out and check you out on your uh, podcast. And Claudio, oh, it's final a, thoughts. It's a great podcast. And as Chris would say, you know, binge. I've been binge listening. And, yeah. and to something you said, Steve, I do, I call it, uh, what is it, WFR, Weekly Financial Review. Every week, I know how much I got coming in, going out, the whole nine yards. But Chris, you're doing great things. Uh, one of my favorite words that Jim Valvano used to say is the word impact. You're having a ton of impact on people, especially me. We appreciate you so much, wish you continued success, and hopefully you can come back on the show again one day. I would love to. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you very Thanks, much. Chris. Take Thank care. You. Okay, everyone, we hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. A lot of great advice uh, for sure. And uh, as always, uh, we appreciate uh, all of you listening. Steve? No, it was a great show. Uh, again, smart smart guy. Uh, recommend folks listen to folks like that. There are a lot of people out there that, quote, have advice. But to his point, you got to find people that if they're successful in the field, He's done you it. listen to them, right? He's if they've been it. there, done that, you listen to them. Um, Fran Targenton, put, get in your hands in the soil. Chris had That's his right. Hands and in and don't take advice from people who aren't in a place you don't want to be. Right. So That's there right. you go. All right, but again, thanks our listeners. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mom and Pop, Linda and Ida, and uh, Joe Hale, and uh, of course, the listeners. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. Tune in next week for more impactful business and life experiences with Claudio and Steve.